0: to my brothers and sisters. Um, it's good to see you again uh, this week. And uh, I see a lot of echo. I'll try to, um, to preach without trying to bother uh, uh, a lot uh, with the echo until we get... Uh, anyway. So um, it's a pleasure again for me to continue to, uh, to look uh, with you together on uh, at 17, the chapter that we started to look at uh, last week. And uh, I hope that as we go through this chapter, we will still continue to be encouraged. The main idea is that as believers and, and, and people who have given their life to Christ, we are compelled to also share the good news with other people. And sometimes that can be uh, very, very intimidating. We sometimes don't know where to start. And uh, last week, uh, what I wanted to stress is that as we look into Acts chapter 17, and we look into Paul's life, and the way that he goes on doing his ministry, in fact, that can be an encouragement for us. So we looked into chapter one, to 15, to verse one to 15. And the main goal was that as we look into Paul preaching in Thessalonica and Berea among the, the, the religious, meaning the Jews, those that are familiar with the word of God and with uh, the God of Israel, God will use a language that they could understand. So he would use the scriptures and go through the scriptures to try to prove that everything that was regarding the Messiah and conclude that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. So his audience will very well be able to understand him. And also I try to point out the importance for us to be good listeners, those that listen with the intent of actually going and and examine and studying to then uh, come to conclusions. One thing also that I wanted to, uh, to, to say, and the good thing about the fact that you can preach a Sunday after another, it's like that you can come back again and stress out this point, is that the best place for us to learn to present the gospel is in fact in the gathering of the people of God. We learn to present the gospel in our small groups as we study the Bible together, We learn to present, to see what is in the gospel, and to present it. The gospel is, in fact, presented not only to those that are outside, but as well as those that are inside. Every Sunday, as we gather together, we are preaching the gospel to each other, encouraging each other in the truth of the gospel. So today, the the message is how to present the gospel, present the gospel among those that are not so familiar now with the scripture and the word of God. So we will look to Paul presenting the gospel in Athens to those that were philosophers. And my big idea today is that most of the time, most of our friends and people that we will be surrounded with are not familiar with the language that we speak. How are we presenting? How can we present the gospel to them? How can you, in fact, do that in the way that they understand what we're saying without having the same reference? Like most of you, I do have colleagues, and most of my colleagues and friends are not Christian. In fact, interestingly, in my effort to try to present the gospel to my friends, I... I took a time one, one day and went to a friend, with a friend, over a dinner. We were having lunch together, and I wanted to present the gospel with, to, to him. But I found that every time that I was trying to say something, I will cite the scriptures. The Bible says, the Bible says. And my friend was kind of, you know, foreigners to the Bible say, because his reference is not the Bible. It doesn't have the Bible. It doesn't know what is in the Bible. So it, doesn't, it wasn't making many sense. The Bible had no authority in his life. So the things that I will quote from the Bible were not very relevant for, for him. And that's the, 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 the scenario in which I find myself many times. So by looking to how Paul address and goes in addressing the philosopher in Athens, I believe that we can have clues and encouragement that can help us to present the gospel. Let's then start together by reading in Acts chapter 17 from verse 16 to 30. While Paul was waiting for them, meaning Timothy and uh, Silas in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with, them both, with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this blabbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they looked, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, "May we know what is this new teaching? What this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean." All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest news, ideas. But then stood in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious for as I walk around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I've even found an altar with the inscription to a non-God, so you are ignorant of the very things that you're worshiping, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you: the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temple built by human hands, and is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gave everything everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit, the whole whole earth, and he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again in this subject. At that Paul left the council, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius a member of, a, of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let us pray together again. Lord, again this morning, we just want to look to you, lift our eyes and our heart to you, the wonderful, the, the marvelous, the good God who has, uh, was pleased to have his word recorded for us so that through them we will Gain wisdom, intelligent, understanding, and that we will learn to know really who you are. Thank you for your word. Lord, you have promised to teach us. You have said that your word is the food for our souls. So we pray this morning that again, as we go through it and we look to it and ponder upon it, that, Father, you will instruct us, that you will come and make your your word alive for us so that we will be strengthened and encouraged. Worship you, to serve you, and even to share your love with other people. We thank you again for being with us, for being among us, and for working in us and through us. Through your Son Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So for today, the, ad- the outline of the sermon will be to try to catch the spiritual condition, uh, and this is, will be from verse 16 to 17. To catch the world view that surround us from verse uh, 18 to 21, looking into the message of Paul from verse 22 to 31, the response that people will give to his message from verse 32 to 35, and then I will end with the concluding thoughts. By catching uh, the spiritual condition I meant by that, trying to discern where people are spiritually. What is what we read in verse 16 and, uh, and, 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 uh, of the passage. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greek, as well as in the marketplace day by day, those who, with those who he happened to be, to be there. Also, verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spend their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest idea. So the city of Athens was a city that was well known for its cultural um, uh, influence in the First first World. Very intellectual city. Uh, We have many schools of thoughts flourishing in Athens. And in fact, it's interesting because that uh, cultural um, um, influence even won over the Roman, uh, the Roman worldview that was uh, in, 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 um, in, in that time. The Roman would adopt many of the ideas of the thinking of the, the Greek. The language that was spoken, even though, I mean, the, the word was dominated by Rome, was in Latin, but was still Greek. So that's the, the, the situation of Athens, a very, very flourishing and cultural city, but also a city full of idols. Paul was very familiar with idols. You know, we remember that when he was in Lystra and he preached the gospel and he healed somebody, the people came with a, a, uh, a cow. They wanted to sacrifice that calf to God to, to Paul because they we were seeing him uh, and Barnabas as Zeus and, um, and Hermes. So Paul was very, very familiar with the, uh, the environment, the world in which he was living, the idolatry that was most reality of most of the people of the, um, the world that wasn't influenced by Judaism, but something in Athens was different. The depth of idolatry in Athens was so high, so deep, so profound, that this seems to have moved Paul. The writer Pliny the Young says that it's identified about seven, 73,000 gods, idols in Athens. You will see representation of gods everywhere, on buildings, everywhere. We even read that there was even an altar, or there will be altars with the statement to a, a non-god. They were so concerned to please the gods that they didn't want to forget any god, even one that they don't know. So they had some altars there so that people would be able to pay their their allegiance, pay their respect to these gods. So this is what what was a picture in Athens. But something also very interesting we learn from the passage, is that the people would spend most of their time to look and to to search for the last new, the last new idea that arrived. They would spend their time talking and sharing and trying to understand and to get the new ideas. It's so interesting that the Greek historian Thucydides says about the, the, the Athenians, he said that you are the best people at being deceived by something new, as it is said. So that was very, very, the, the, uh, the, the characteristic that we could see in Athens. Paul was grieved in his soul by all this. The word says that he was deeply distressed. In some other translation, he said that he was provoked some other was say that he was grieved by the situation. What the passage is trying to, to make us understand is that seeing all this death and how idolatry was permeated in the society, that did not left Paul untouched. It didn't talk, it didn't left Paul uh, insensitive to that situation. He was so sensibilized that he wanted to do something. What was his solution to fast to on fast of such an issue? The gospel. He will go and present the gospel day by day to everyone, to people he will find on the marketplace, on the public place. He will share the gospel. So we need also to be able to catch. What is the spiritual condition of our generation and be sure that we are not sensitive and sensitive to it. In fact, as I was thinking about and and, and preparing, one of the questions that came into my mind, how could we characterize our generation? How can we characterize Montreal, the city in which we are living? What is the dominance? influence that is over Montreal. Because that dominant influence is also, we will find that also in the life of our friends and, and people that are surrounding us. We need also to be able to catch the worldview. It says in verse 18 to 21, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is these is trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and the re- resurrections. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what it is this new teaching that is that you are presenting? You are bringing something strange, some strange idea to our ears, and we would like to know what they meant. The name of the Areopagus was a place that was named after the god of war, Mars. It was in fact translated, uh, we can translate it, the hill of Mars. So it was a place where the people will gather, the philosopher will gather, those, uh, a council uh, of the city will gather. So these people that Paul meet in the marketplace are some of these philosophers, the um, Epicurean and the Stoic. They bring Paul among now the meeting of the, of the Areopagus where also we intend to examine exactly what is this new teaching that Paul, in fact, is bringing in the, in the public place. We need to understand something a little bit about these people if we want to be able to understand the worldview that they hold. Both the Epicurean and, philo- and, and Stoic were uh, from a school of philosophers, and there are many schools in Athens. Both of them were in opposition with the school of thoughts of Plato and Aristotle. Both a whole philosophy of life, which was focusing on having a good and prosper and and and, and comment dire encore une vie, uh, une vie um, une vie pleine a full life. Practical wisdom was the core of their teaching. Both schools favors the self-control and moderation and moral in living. They really center their, their thought and their thinking of their, their teaching on the satisfaction, satisfaction of the soul here in this earth. But Although they hold this worldview in general to common, they had some differences between them. The Stoics were founded by a man man named Zeno, who was a philosopher who lived in in 340 to uh, 265 before Christ. Zeno's teaching was basically that the world was created by the elements. And that there was a Logos, which was kind of the spirit that was permeating all the world. In a sense, the Logos would be like a god that was permeating everything. And human beings were participant of the Logos. And they have in themselves part of deity, so they could become themselves gods too. And their primary goal in life is the, it was virtue. We're looking, the search for virtue. Nothing in this world could help us to achieve a good life and a pleasing, a, a, a satisfied life, unless we live in a certain, certain type of asceticism. The Epicurean on the other hand, believes that the world was nothing more than atoms and matters. So there was no such thing as God. If there is no such thing as God, the world is created from the atom from nothing. That means also that since there is no God, human beings have no need to trying to please the gods. So the purpose of life was the search and the pursuit of pleasure and happiness. But the happiness and the pleasure could only be achieved through the search of virtues. These things, by themselves, are not that Wrong, because we understand that both of them trying to look to what can make the soul flourish. The thing is that they have all having a worldview without God as is in the center. What worldview can we identify in our generation today among the many people that we get in contact with? Something that I want to stress out and to find is that when we look to these philosophies and these philosophers, they lived before Christ. They came with a teaching before Christ. Many people followed them, trying to, to practice the life that they were, they, they, were, they were preaching, they were presenting. But they could not satisfy, respond to the needs of the human soul. Christ came at a year zero, what is considered year zero, with his gospel, saying, "Come unto me, all you are weary and tired, and I will give you rest." Christ came with a stronger and a better proposal for life, a teaching that we will see and will see, brought a transformation in the world that this philosophy could not bring. Paul was well aware. Of these philosophies. In verse twenty-two and thirty-three, we see that Paul starts to present the gospel to these people. And as we look to what, how God, how Paul presents the gospel, something that is very interesting we can notice is that God, uh, Paul is sensitive to this audience. As I say, he understands. Part of a philosophy. He understands part of their thinking, part of a worldview. He understands that the excessive devotion to the God shows, in fact, the ignorance of the true God. So he would present his gospel by drawing from what they are familiar with. If we look to verse. Thirty-two to, uh, to twenty-two to thirty-one. We notice that he cites some of their some of their philosophers. He cites, for example, Epimedes and says, for him, we live, for him, for in him we live and move and have our being. He also cites another philosopher, Aristos, from the Stoic group, saying that we are his offspring. So that shows us that Paul were not foreigners to their ideas, to what they hold to. And he starts there to present in his presentation of his gospel. The God who made the world and everything in the, uh, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temple built by human hands and is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole world, worth, and he marked out the appointed time in history, and the boundaries of the lands. Paul presents the gospel. You see, in his presentation of the gospel, he starts with God. He starts with God and His Majesty. The problem in Athens and His people and the people that he is meeting is the lack of knowledge of the true God. They had many gods that did not know the, the, the real God. So Paul aimed to, to correct that wrong view, that wrong understanding. From what is present in the, uh, the scriptures um, here, if you've noticed very well, there is no citation of... The Hebrew Scriptures. No citation of the Hebrew Scripture. Yet, the truth that he conveys through his preaching contains the truth of the Hebrew Scriptures. He starts then to present the, the, the real God. God, the real God, is the creator of all things. And all things proceed from him. Verse 24, this truth is found in Isaiah 45, 18. For this is what the Lord said. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but from it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. The God, the true God, is the all-sufficient God. He does not need any man, nor any other creature, to serve him or to provide for his need. God, in the contrary, is the one who gives and provides everything to all creatures. And that is the truth that is said in, in Psalm 58 to 15. I bring no charge against you, Israel, concerning your sacrifice or concerning your burnt offering, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull of your stall or of a goat of your, of your pants. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hill. I know every bird in the mountains and the insect in the fields are mine. If I were angry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is it. Do I eat the flesh of the bull or drink the blood of the goats? Sacrifice, sacrifice thanks, thanks offering to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and, I will, and you will honor me. That's the God that we have. That's the God that is presented to us. We don't serve God's to respond to one of his of his needs, God is all sufficient. Our service to Him is to reflect the glory of who He is. He is unique. He cannot be equal to any living creature, nor any human. Work that we can build or made. To whom would you compare me, says the Lord in Isaiah 40, 26 to 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 26. Oh, who is my equal, says the only one. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these things? He who brings out the sterile holes one by one and calls forth each one by his name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, no one, none of them is missing. He is sovereign. He is the one who decreed the divisions of the nations and determines their time. This is what Paul proclaimed in verse 26. And this truth is conveyed in Deuteronomy 32 32 verse 8. When the Most High gave the nation their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. God is good. His goodness is revealed through his economy, the way that he runs the world. He is a personal and close God. He is not distant, not indifferent, the fate of humanity as the Epicurean and Stoic will proclaim in their worldview. Psalm 145, 18, and 19 reflect this truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and says them, the righteous cries out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their trouble. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many trouble, but the Lord delivers him from them all. This is from Psalm 36, 34. He is a patient God. He was indulgent to all the nation, despite their ignorance and failing to give him the praise and glories that is due to him. But he's also a just judge, a God who will judge the world. And this is what Paul says in verse 31, through the man that he has chosen, of, who, of which he has given proof by raising him from the dead. That's the God, the true God, that Paul presents to his audience. And we can see now and look into the response that he gets from there. When they heard about the resurrection and the dead, some of them stirred, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that Paul left the council, some of the people became the followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Genesis, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris and and a number of others. So we see the response that we get there is not very, very far from the kind of response that we will see as we go on in our lives presenting the gospel. Some laughed. It's nonsense that Paul is presenting. Some other will say, we want to listen to you a little bit later. We will delay that for another time. But some will believe. It's generally thought and understood that the ministry of Paul in Athens was a failure because no church was built in Athens. No letter was directed to any church or group of believers in Athens. But may I suggest that the true success is not the number of people that will get converted, will repent or will, be, will, be, will come to Christ in a city or in a place, but rather a true success in the minister of God is the faithfulness for them toward God to present the gospel, whatever the circumstances. So we come to the conclusion, what about us? What all this has to do with us? What can we learn from all this? As I started, we too today, we have friends and colleagues around us that we want to share the gospel with. We might find us sometimes very difficult to present the gospel because we use the language of the Bible says, the Bible said, the scriptures say, and they are unfamiliar with all this. As I was thinking about that, I came with a small, short presentation of the gospel that I use many times with my friends. Sometimes when I meet somebody and I have much time with that person, I know that I, I don't have time to, to expound of everything about the gospel. This is a truth that I want to bring in one and two minutes. Maybe it can be an inspiration for you. The God who created everything is good. is just and is very close to each one of us. In fact, he desires our well-being. But each one of us, nonetheless, does not love, desire this God, or wants to live or to walk according to his ways. This God called sins, which put us under his wrath and judgment. But God, in his goodness and kindness, to show his good will toward us, offered as a sacrifice Jesus Christ's son so that we'll be able to be reconciled with himself and God's welcome us if we acknowledge our enmity toward him repent and accept this free grace that he gives us through the person of Jesus Christ no matter what arguments we can bring in preaching the gospel. We need to remember that conversion of people only happens by God himself. We should pray and ask for God to give us opportunities to present the gospel. And God answer these kind of prayers. As we do so, we should also pray even more that God will bring the repentance and the conversion that many of our friends and colleagues and people we meet around us need. And one other thing that I wanted to say is that, as I conclude, is that Paul's presentation of the God of the the Scriptures that we saw in this passage is a good news for us is a good news for us. Isn't it a good news to know that you are not alone? Isn't it a good news for us to know that the word is not created from uh, au hasard, de rien du tout? That everything that is created and is in the world comes from the will of God, his decision, his good will. And God runs the world is continue to run the world even through all the circumstances that we see in our nations, in the world around us, but also in our own lives. Whatever the circumstances we face, God's reign, he is the true God, a personal God, and a God who cares for us. And this is one of the main truths that the word, the scripture tells us that through everything, God's work for the goodness and the le bienfait de ses enfants. We can be encouraged by that. This is good news for us. We can rest secure and worship the Lord in that, even today, whatever the circumstances. My brothers and sisters, that is the encouragement that I wanted to bring you as we go out and try preach and to present the gospel to our friends. God can help us find the right words to present it, even one minute to a minute, and as we do so, let us pray fervently that God will bring the repentance that only He can bring. Amen. Let us pray. Yes, Lord, we it's a pleasure, it's a wonderful thought to know that you use human being as us to convey the truth of who you are, of your grace to people that are around us. You, don't, you didn't leave this work to angels, but to those that you have redeemed through your grace in Jesus Christ. Father, we Understand that many times as we try and as we go on and present the gospel, whatever the argument that we bring so many times, the resistance, the apathy, the indifference. Father, we pray that you help us to continue to present your word, not to shy from it, not to be intimidated for whatever we see around us, even the, the, the worldview that is so prevalent over, uh, around us, but that you will help us to present your word in the simple way, in the clear way, that people will understand it. But no one can come to you, can come to say and 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 proclaim and, and, and knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is the Savior, unless you, O oh Lord, you have brought and worked into their life the repentance and salvation that they need. So Father, please use us. Please extend your hands as we present your word to our friends and colleagues, extend your hands with power and grace and, and conviction so that they will see, that will repent and come also to be converted. Father, I pray that as we go home, that you will be encouraged by the reality of who you are, the wonderful and mighty God that you are who cares for us and even today is with us. We praise your name for your grace in our, in our, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As you go home, may the Lord, our God and Father, be with you. May we strengthen you. May we be with you throughout this week. May we give you strength in all the circumstances that you will be facing. You have a good Sunday.